0: This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. When you say big bands, people always think about the swing era, which is roughly 1935 to 1945. The genesis of the the big band goes back much further than 1935. Actually, in this country and in Europe, they've always had very large ensembles, orchestras, marching bands, large choirs. So our fascination with large ensembles goes back generations. But in terms of a large jazz ensemble, that really goes back to around the turn of the century with the American tradition of brass bands and marching bands. You know, the Sousa band, the Hickman band, and of course, wonderful orchestras from the turn of the century. But in terms of a large ensemble playing this new style of music that is evolving in this country, this ragtime, syncopated, cakewalk style of music is really where the big bands come from. A while back, I did a show on a very important figure in early 20th century music by the name of James Reese Europe. And I'd like to revisit him for a minute or two because he's an important figure in the evolution of the big bands. Now, he had a dance orchestra around the turn of the century, and his band accompanied the famous dance uh, team of the Vernon and Irene Castle. So let's listen to one of his pieces. It's not what we call um swing music, it's not big band jazz, but it's a large ensemble that features string instruments, woodwinds, some brass and percussion that's playing the precursor to what would be known as swing music or big band. This is called the Castle House Rag, recorded 1914. So James Reese Europe and quite a few other important band leaders in New York and Washington and Philadelphia and other East Coast cities had large ensembles that were playing music of this sort. This syncopated ragtime music, not jazz per se, but it's definitely the predecessor to jazz. This music was incredibly popular from about 1910 on. Of course, these musicians, they they were somewhat aware of what was going on in New Orleans, and some of the groups did feature some New Orleans musicians, but for the most part, it's syncopated ragtime, large ensemble music. One of the most important changes in American popular music was the introduction of the saxophone by way of minstrel shows in vaudeville. The saxophone was invented in the 1840s by a man by the name of Adolph Sax, and for 60-some-odd years, it really couldn't seem to find a home either in orchestras or bands, and it was an instrument that really just was rather homeless. It's a brass instrument, but we classify it as a woodwind because the mouthpiece is built in imitation of a clarinet mouthpiece. So it's brass, but it's woodwind. So brass players didn't like it, and the woodwind players didn't like it. It wasn't until the turn of the century with the introduction of the saxophone into American popular and novelty music that it really began to catch on. There was a group called the Six Brown Brothers, and they were six brothers, and they all played the saxophone, and they are really more than any other group responsible for introducing the saxophone into American popular music, and I have some very rare early recordings of the Six Brown Brothers. Now, there's just six saxophones, so let's listen to one of their famous pieces called The Chicken Walk, the Six Brown Brothers, about 1912, 1913. So that's the six Brown brothers. Of course, when we listen to that, we say, is that jazz? Well, not really, but it has that ragtime cakewalk syncopation that is so prevalent in late 19th, early 20th century American music. And that's really the the start of the sound of American music. But it doesn't have improvisation. It doesn't swing. And it has no element of the blues. So it's not jazz yet. It's pre-jazz. When you think of jazz or see a jazz poster, you, know, you might see a trumpet or a drum set or a guitar, but the instrument that you would most likely see is a saxophone. And it really came to represent this new American sound and music, and the saxophone was intricately tied up with this new sound. Now, band leaders from about 1915 to 1920 were discovering the sound of the saxophones and were using it to replace the the sound of the string instruments. The saxophone has more color, it can be played in a raucous manner, it can be played in a sweet manner that does sound like a violin, can be played very loud, so it's an incredibly versatile instrument and became associated with this new sound in music. Now, there's a couple of long-forgotten big bands from about 1915 and early 20s that were marvelous groups in New York um, and Chicago and other big cities. We're going to listen to some of these large ensembles, and this is really the beginnings of big band jazz. We're going to start with a group from Chicago led by a man by the name of Benson. This is the Benson Orchestra. We're going to listen to I Love to Fall Asleep and Wake Up in My Mammy's Arms. Pay particular attention to this wild saxophone solo that's going on within the first minute or so of this recording. You can still hear strings, the violins are still rather prevalent, but you can hear this amazing saxophone solo being played over top of the string accompaniment. It's not really a jazz group, there's no improvisation, but we're starting to get the feel, the swing or the lilt of New Orleans music which is coming up the Mississippi River. In San Francisco, around 1915, there was also a very famous orchestra led by a man by the name of Art Hickman, and he traveled to New York by about 1920 or so. And let's listen to one of the Art Hickman orchestra pieces. This is entitled Rose Room, and I believe he even wrote this piece. The Hickman Orchestra made quite a few records out in San Francisco and were invited out to New York City, but the musicians missed their hometown of San Francisco, and because of that, I don't believe they had the impact that they could have had, and their name has been long forgotten. In 1917, the original Dixieland jazz band from New Orleans traveled to Chicago and then to New York City, where they made an incredible impression on the New York musicians and the whole New York music scene. They were incredibly popular, and they brought this freewheeling, energetic New Orleans style of music to New Yorkers who had never really heard anything like this. Let's listen to the original Dixieland jazz band recording of Livery Stable Blues. After you hear the original Dixieland jazz band recording a livery stable blues, you will hear the similarity in the Wilbur Sweatman orchestra in the way his group played, how strongly an impact that New Orleans sound had on the New York bands. But it took them hearing original Dixieland jazz band before they got the true New Orleans flavor in their music. Wilbur Sweatman was an African American band leader in the teens and early twenties in New York City. In fact, one of Duke Ellington's first professional engagements when he left Washington was performing with Wilbur Sweatman. So this is Wilbur Sweatman's orchestra from around the same period, early, late teens, early twenties. You can hear that his music sounds a little more freewheeling and spontaneous than the Hickman or the Benson Orchestra. But remember, all this music is written out. This is not improvised. This is not New Orleans-style jazz nor Chicago collectively improvised jazz. This is all written out. One of the most important figures in the development of large ensemble, big band jazz, is a figure by the name of Paul Whiteman, and he's a controversial figure. He has also often been vilified, he called himself the king of jazz, he wasn't the king of jazz. But what he did contribute to American music was that he commercialized it and packaged it and made it accessible across the country. He wasn't a jazz musician, he was a band leader, but he understood the the importance of this music and the commercial appeal and how it can be marketed. His groups in the early 20s were probably the most popular. His records were the most widely listened to in 1920s large ensemble jazz. Remember, it's not real jazz, it has certain elements of jazz. So Whiteman was a violinist from Denver, Colorado and looked at the music and the business and had such a great business acumen that he put all the other bands out of work or made them seem like secondary groups. I'd I'd like to play a few of the early Whiteman recordings, starting with Japanese Sandman. I'd also like to play another one of his famous early recordings. This is entitled Whispering, which, by the way, was later co-opted by the bebop geniuses uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and turned into a great bebop song called Groovin' High. 1924, he sponsored a very famous concert called An Experiment in Music, where the rationale for presenting this concert was, in his own words, to make a lady out of jazz. And really what he's trying to do is taking the fear out of it. I mean, white America was fascinated with African-American culture, but they were also somewhat afraid of it. At this time, it was still a time of great racial prejudice and segregation, and he was able to take this music, certain elements of it, and present it in a manner that People said, hey, this is pretty good. And this is really the beginning of the widespread popularity across the country of large ensemble music, or what's later going to be known as big band jazz.